you're listening to Reigning Revolution, Jedi in the Arts. That's justice, equity, diversity, and innovation in the arts. Tune in to hear conversations with various artists about these themes. Brought to you from CFUV 101.9 FM, and I'm your host, Meharuna Gani. Reigning Revolution is coming to you from the traditional territories of the Sanhis, Esquimalt, and Wasanich peoples, whose historical relationships continue to this day. I'd like to welcome my guest and dear friend, Kim Spencer. Kim Spencer is from the Simsian Nation in Northern British Columbia and currently lives in Vancouver. Kim completed the Writer Studio program at Simon Fraser University in 2020, where she focused on creative nonfiction. An experimental story of hers was published in issue 76 of Filling Station Magazine, and it is a finalist for the Alberta Magazine Publishers Association Awards. Kim's debut novel, Weird Rules to Follow by Orca Book Publishing will be released October 18, 2022, and has received a Kirkus starred review. You can read more about Kim's upcoming novel in BC Book World's current issue. Hello, Kim. It's so lovely to see you and have you here on Reigning Revolution. Please um, let us know which uh, which Indigenous territories you're joining me uh, from today. Hello, Meharuna. So very nice to be here with you this morning. I am here in Vancouver, that is on the Musqueam, Squamish, tsleil territory. And it's a lovely, beautiful September morning. Isn't it? It's so sunny outside. I love seeing the blue skies, less smog today in Victoria. I, I don't know how it is for you in Vancouver. It is the most perfect September day. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm. it's just such a pleasure to have you have you here with us. And, and I'm so excited for you and looking forward to your book come is coming out and um, pretty much it is out isn't it people can order it it, it is if you pre-ordered directly from my publisher orca books then you would have received it uh, in the mail this week so that was a bit of a surprise a good surprise it, it almost feels to me like it's a soft launch mm -hmm. so that that's kind of nice so it's been pretty fun getting tagged in in um, posts on Instagram or Facebook or seeing it even on Twitter in the far corners of the world, like Alaska. So wow. it's been pretty fun to see and seeing it popping up in classrooms. Uh, teachers are sending me pictures saying they've got their order for the class for the year. So that's been pretty fun. That's excellent. Well, as you know, Reigning Revolution, Jedi in the Arts is, is the name of this, this um, podcast series. So I often start off with the first question with, with folks who join me. 
what does Jedi in the arts mean to you? And Jedi stands for justice, equity, diversity, and innovation. You can speak to all or one, or even if you don't want to speak to any, it's up to you. <laughs> um, but that's where we'll start. Firstly, it is a fantastic name. And I definitely have never been asked what that means. <laughs> if I was to focus on one, I think diversity definitely is really, it's a really important area for me right now. Because I feel like I, it's only been in the last 10 years that I've really been doing the work myself, say reading BIPOC, focusing on that. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's important, say so for someone coming from a background where I grew up as an Indigenous person, grew up reading, you know, Judy Bloom, Sweet Valley High books, all the, and, and I just, I love them. I love to read. And it never, it never dawned on me that I was missing from the pages or people that look like me were not on the pages. So that's where I feel it's so, so important right now for my focus to be, to be on diversity. And it wasn't until I was about, I think 19 or 20. And I started attending the native education college school on just off Main and fifth here in Vancouver. And I was doing my upgrading and the assigned reading was the book called In Search of April Raintree. And I read it and was, wow, I was blown away. And that was the first time I ever realized, oh, wow, this is what it looks like to, to, to see us on the page. And it was the first time I cried in a book because it was so moving. And I just think, like, I think back now to today, with all the work that's been done, say like what I was saying, I've been doing the work for the last 10 years reading, which I feel embarrassed about, you know, I'm 47 years old, if I'm allowed to say that on air. <laughs> and uh, so can you imagine that's only 10 years ago, I was 37, 37 to start realizing that, hey, wait a second. Um, so that's one thing I really think about the Native Education College. I think that they were way ahead of their time. They were way ahead of their time. That was the assigned reading I got. The next one was Half Read by Marie Campbell. And there's nowhere else. Like who else was doing that way back then? Probably very few, very, very few, um, say schools would have been assigning reading like that. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't until I was an adult. And then even then, so that happened when I was around 19 or 20. And it had a huge impact on me. But, you know, I dropped out of school didn't finish my upgrading, went on my weary way until when, like I was saying 10 years ago. So all that time, nothing, it just is. So it's, it's extremely important to me right now to be focusing on diversity BIPOC. I'm wondering in, in discovering that you're missing from the pages that how did that lead you to where you are now? Well, at the time, at NEC, Native Education College, I was moved by the story content, not seeing myself on the page, but the story was, it's a heavier uh, book, a heavier read. So it was the content. And then at that time, it, it gave me pride, but I was in my you know early 20s. So just went on my merry way, told anybody I could read that book. And then that was that. So you just forgot about it. And then it wasn't until say 10 years ago, that I started reading, you know, Thomas King, read Sherman Alexie's 
absolutely true to ours, a part-time Indian. And that, I would say, was that book specifically is what had the most impact on me. And I also read a lot of books by Black authors, uh, like, say, Between the World and Me. Fantastic read. So I read, I was reading, I was taking in a lot of different in books, uh, BIPOC books at the time. And, but, but Sherman Alexie's book um, really resonated with me. It was the most like how I grew up seeing our, really seeing the connection, living in a fishing town or, you know, those different social issues that he faced. So, so then I kind of started thinking, realizing the importance realizing how important it was say say if you have a talent or a gift say writing then how important it is for us to use it that that skill because because of the way books impacted me as a kid in a good way I'm 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 not saying anything negative about Judy Bloom or those Sweet Valley High books like I truly enjoyed them uh so so I really enjoyed it. But so then I think about what that would be like for Indigenous kids now growing up for them to see and it being more mainstream, being normalized, see, seeing themselves on the pages from maybe um, picture books to, 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 to novels for when they're YA or, or middle grade. So that's where I started thinking about uh, writing. Um, of course, I always liked writing probably since I was 12, but really seriously thinking about, hmm, like this is important work. This matters, this work. And I guess that kind of goes in, um, in line with innovation about really changing things or transforming the literary world. Like, hey, we can have a seat at the table. You know, right now I'm really, like I said, about about specifically BIPOC, but see this book called Craft in the Real World uh, by Matthew, I don't want to butcher his last name, but is it like Salises or Salises, Korean guy, and he has written a book on editing. And so he's kind of saying, take everything you've ever known and flipping on its head, basically saying, who wrote the rules? You know, it's about decolonizing the, the, the writing practice, the editing practice. Misek saying, they, do, they say, don't start a new sentence or a new paragraph with and or but. His next par- paragraph, but, you know, and then he like kind of cheeky like that. And then he says, they say a paragraph can't be one sentence. His next paragraph, one sentence, like real cheeky like that. And I love that because... Um, Hmm. Like, say my book is told in a series, my upcoming book, Weird Rules to Follow, is told in a series of vignettes. And quite a few people are like, why did you do that? Why would you do that? And to me, I think they're just these pockets, these slices of lifelike, seemingly ordinary sort of world. That, and that's kind of how we think about when we remember our childhood in these little pockets. So that's why I, I like telling stories in that style yeah and it sounds like you there's two things going on there's um um a type of craft there's the craft that you're thinking of and in terms of vignettes and the style of how you want to tell your story but there's also the the area of memory and how often 
when we're thinking about our childhood or any situation, they are in small pieces of memories or fragmented memories. And that's also is a type of craft and writing as well. Um, so you've spoken a, a bit about um, what uh, what diversity means to you and what innovation is in terms of the craft and style of writing you're doing and what led you to become a writer. And that's all very powerful in terms of your journey. I do wonder about what is your definition of art? Hmm. Well, I... I think of myself as a creative person. I feel like even the way you decorate your home, you know, to me that is 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 quite it's really important because I feel like being in in a nice space that that really fuels that that creative side. I like visual, you know. I like films, old, old films. I. I like the book. I think we've talked about this in the past, the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. That's a really important read. And so I need to feed that part of my, of my the creativity. I need to feed that because I feel like when I do and I take in, like say podcasts, it's, uh, what's the name of the podcast? Design Matters with Debbie Millman. She interviews the most fantastic people. And when I listen to those, you just get nuggets here and there that really are like, aha, jot down something and give me ideas. So uh, I don't feel like I make enough time for it these days. You know, everything is kind of the last couple of years been a little bit of a write off, but I feel like it's a, I used to do, say for the artist way, she talks about the morning pages getting it down on paper, you know, that sort of journaling, the, the brain drain. So I feel like that's a really important part of, of the creative side for, for writing. So I, I definitely need to make more time for it. And uh, like she says, scheduling in artist dates or, you know, things, making time for it, for sure. Yeah, it it's it is important to make time, and I often say um, to myself as a writer that um, even if I don't schedule the time, I think about the off times as also creative creative spaces of writing. And and so for you, the art, your definition of art sounds pretty broad and beautiful. It's about physical space, your physical space around you. Um, it, it can also lead to podcasting, the people who are doing podcasts are, are artists, mm -hmm. books as a writer, uh, the artist's way, morning pages, journaling, the creative time and space you make for those things mm -hmm. are seen as art. Mm -hmm. And walking, walking, running by the water, being in nature. And then, like you said, the the, do, the off time that when you're not doing that, that to me is just sort of settling the mind, clearing the mind. Yeah, it's all it's all good uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's great. I, I often think people forget to think about the self-care aspect of uh, walking or being in nature and that too is in itself a form of art and self-care is a very important uh, aspect of of any for any artist in mm -hmm. terms of the work that they do especially in the kind of stories that you're talking about and sharing um, that are personal you do need time for self-care 
how does your art connect with people or bring them into a conversation about um, the themes that are important to you? I have to say it's been an interesting process. Even in, say, when I was attending, which you've also attended the writer studio at SFU, and workshopping your work and, and having people critique your work, share, dissect, <laughs> you know? So I feel like for me, the my book, upcoming book, Weird Rules to Follow, is based on my childhood, my life experiences growing up. It's published as fiction. So hearing people, you know, your the feedback, review your, your work, and say specifically a recent article that features my book, talks to my book in BC Book World, where, you know, it's the front page. It's like prejudice in Prince Rupert. <laughs> that that I, I just don't feel like that is the focus. Not saying that it, it it's not. It's definitely weaved throughout. You know, so so there's so many different things. And then even when we were going to be, when we were going through the editing process, the focus being on childhood friendships and like, oh, but it's not exactly only about childhood friendships. It's about, you know, family, identity, culture, the importance, specifically the importance of culture in, in Indigenous communities. So it's, it's been, it's been very, it's been interesting to, to hear the feedback and to see the reviews. It's, you know, about, about a racial, growing up as an Indigenous girl in a small town, as a racialized person, what it's like to be viewed as other. When I was going through the editing process and really kept jumping on at me, these sort of, these dual worlds, straddling these two two worlds, your home life as an Indigenous young girl, your home life, and then your life at school if you hang around non-Indigenous kids. So then I, I was sharing this with a friend of mine, and, and she's Korean, and she's like, yes, yes, growing up in Canada as a, so that you sort of, we all, like, it's almost like everybody, anybody BIPOC has, has these dual worlds that they're straddling. And then I was I was listening to either a podcast or whether it was her Netflix, um, is it Samin Samin Nas Nasrat, where she's got the podcast and the book Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and so she shares that as well. She shares growing up, and she is living in San Diego, but at home, her mom's like, "This is, you know, the country they're from." This is where you are. And that she said, we ate food from our home country. They said, my parents spoke the language. Then she goes, then I walk out the door. I'm in San Diego going for tacos at the Mexican stand. So it's almost like it really is. It really is. I feel like an important conversation to have, you know, a, a broader for sure. It's it's a broad topic, but I feel like a lot of us have that lived experience. And I'm sure, I mean, we've, I know we've talked in the past about you grew up in a small town. So these, 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 these lived experiences are much more common than we think. Yeah, definitely. We, we do straddle 
different worlds. And I was I was thinking about the word intersectionality and often how intersectionality is is sometimes used in the context of identity. But I'm reflecting also that intersectionality for me also means broader than that. It's not just about my identity. It's about space and geography and place and where how I navigate those spaces. And it sounds to me, you know, what you're saying is similar because um, where inside the home, there's something else going on in terms of culture or spiritual or uh, wherever my parents came from and knowing the nuances of, of that along with language, there's a variation of languages within mm -hmm. our home, but then outside of our home, there's English is the dominant language. And then outside of the home, there's other um, various uh, encounters that we are all experiencing in terms of diversity it's it's there's a lot of people that um, at least I am meeting uh, when I lived in Vancouver and also in Victoria there's all kinds of people that I'm meeting who are of various intersectional identities and with that comes their various life experiences and stories mm -hmm. so definitely I think we're all navigating those spaces of pluralism is what mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. And then like you're saying, even say within I, I have a friend, we're from the same community, grew up in the exact same place, same reserve, but completely different upbringings. Mm. Say socioeconomic. Yep. Status, which is yes. which is it's really sad to think about. And I, and I mean it's it's like that in the say the cult the culture the culture aspect if you're your culture if you're raised around your culture or if you weren't maybe you were raised in in an urban center so so there are it's like we're not cookie cutter no. and we're still all trying to you know healing mm -hmm. and, and doing the work and and navigating these you know and everybody's in a different place too say for example i mean i used to in ignorance sort of judge certain people for for, for whatever reason and then it took me a long time to realize that we're not all in this going to be in the same place on our journey of, of Oh, I just, it just reminds me of a podcast that I was listening to recently and um, the name of it, what is it? Is it about St. Michael's residential school? It's by Connie Walker and it's about the residential school system. And he says, not exactly like don't toy with this. You know, he said, he said there, there's a lot of people that still, that haven't even come home yet. Like they're out there and they're still so broken and wounded from residential schools. Like they, they can't even come home because they're not in that place. And so how careful we need to be when we're speaking about or writing about those things. It's a very sensitive, delicate area. Yeah. Yeah. And something you said that's quite critical and important is that everybody, different people are at different places of their journey and of their healing mm -hmm. and and 
there is no cookie cutter. There is no cookie cutter approach. And I definitely feel that now, even though my book, I got the people who I, I shared about the most, I got their permission. They read it well before it went to, to be published. And so still, even, even, even though they, I got their permission, they were happy, they, they loved it, gave me their blessing. Now that it's ready to be, it's, it's this soft launch, like I said, it's gone out there. My book baby's gone out there into the world. There's been tension. There's been a lot of emotion because of some of the stories that I've shared. So then I'm an extremely sensitive person, careful. Like I feel like I wrote my book with a lot of heart, a lot of integrity, even though, even then, I still have concerns. How is it going to be received? How's my family going to feel? How's the community going to feel? You know, I have had to sort of sit there with these emotions this last week, especially. And, and that's sort of the price you pay. <laughs> if you want to be a writer, if you want to write something based on, on true, true life, true, true story. So it is, it is, it is uh, definitely been uh, an adventure. Well, it's interesting. Um, what you're touching on is how your art is relational to yourself and to others in, in some regard, in terms of the others, it's, it remains to be seen. Um, mm -hmm. As you mentioned, you're, you know, you, you've worked with heart and integrity and you're a sensitive person and you are concerned and wondering about how the community is going to feel. So you are you are thinking about that. My question would be, what are you doing for yourself in terms of ensuring some aspect of self-care as you move forward just for yourself? And is there anything you're thinking about in terms of the community at large? I would... I was it's a very good question and I I've been like what self-care how do I do self-care you know just kind of frantic because everything's happening so quickly and this is all in real time so I'm like I stopped drinking coffee for four days that's that's my self-care because I was so just wound up like a drum and but it but I feel like it really needs to be again I'm scheduling that in besides I mean I do go for a run most mornings along the seawall but I do that all year round all the time but I think slowing down definitely I've been trying to slow down I've been following um a lovely lovely who you know um is Shailene Shailene is it night Shailene night yes yes breathing space and, yeah oh and what I just actually recently thanked her for the for these nuggets these little gems that she provides on social media because otherwise like I said to her I reached out and thanked her saying for a person that is new to the scene doesn't have a literary community I'm just like feeling your way in the dark a couple of things she shared is like oh thank you these little lifelines because I gotta get I gotta get myself prepared and then I think the other part you asked was about, about the community. And like I said, it was written 
with care. So I feel like it will be once the book's read, it will be received well. And I feel like it's for the greater, the greater good. You know, maybe a few moments of uncomfortableness for people. And sometimes through our discomfort is where we can learn, um, mm -hmm. all of us. And um, I, I really applaud you for going down that route of discomfort and seeing what happens. And um, like I've told you before, if you ever need somebody to lean on or, or vent with or just even cry, give me a call. I'll be there for you. <laughs> yes. And which you were, which you were uh, very, very helpful regarding around book launches. So yes, I do thank you for that for, for sure. But yes. And, and see, that's where it's really important to, to be connecting. And that would probably be a good step for self-care with me when I'm like feeling a bit overwhelmed to reach out. How have you evolved through your art? Do you see an evolution for yourself and how have you evolved? Uh, I do. I do think that I've evolved. I think that I've, you know, I think some feedback that I received for, for my manuscript once was about staying true to who she was, you know, not, um, not watering down the message. I mean, I'm not, knocking people over the head with a hammer but but they said staying true to who she was with some you know having some very important conversations or difficult conversations so I feel like I've kind of always had that but now like I was saying about reading books like the art of craft, craft in the real world and uh, even another book that I read was called how to pronounce knife um, she's it's a fantastic collection of short stories, but interestingly, she's a Lao woman and how, what she said was in her collection of short stories, she doesn't ever say where she is. Doesn't say the town. You don't know if she's in Canada or the U S you don't know where she is. And she said, the reason she did that was to, almost make it for the reader to be disoriented too, to feel like what it feels like for an immigrant coming to another country, trying to sort of get, find their way. And I thought that's powerful. That is so powerful. So I love these ingenious, you know, creative ways and the, the, the this different style of, of storytelling and, you know, another book that I read is was uh, written it's called it's like experiential not experiential experimental you know just a different style just all kind of prosy like it's a poem and and I like again in favor of those really short paragraphs or sentences so I'm really loving learning that this different way this different style that probably maybe is more in line with how as an indigenous people, like indigenous people are natural storytellers. Stories are passed down orally. So maybe it's more in line with that, why it, why it resonates with me, why I feel drawn to that style. Mm, yeah, that's, that is beautiful. What do you dream for in terms of, it could be your art practice or more broadly, do you have a big dream? You know how we used to always have 
these reader, razor reader, razor reader. And I've always thought about, you know, what kind of libraries do they have on reserves? I would love some kind of razor reader for, for Indigenous kids to get them enthused for reading, get them interested in reading. And I feel like if my book, seeing themselves in it can help, then that would be wonderful. And interestingly, uh, a good friend of mine, what we had chatted about, you know, while I was still in the, in the writing process was, I want my books to be read in schools. And now here, like I was mentioning earlier about, um, I'm not sure if I shared it yet, but about a writer, uh, part of me, a te and a teacher in high school sent me a picture of a stack of my books that he's received, 30 books. Oh, my class, we've got our books for, for this semester. So that was really moving, <laughs> really, really moving that, that that's going to be studied, read in class, studied, dissected. I, I've thought a lot about it, and I just even think about, say, for inner cities, say, you know, East Vancouver, um, there's a lot of uh, social housing for Indigenous people in, in, in the area. And I thought, you know, I'd love to do those, um, give a book, take a book, little a book library, the little mini ones, you yeah. know, and I thought, imagine building one, putting one right side, say, Pender and Commercial Drive, there's two native housings right across the street from each other. But what that would be like to, to have that in their neighborhood, having books about Indigenous people in them. That would um, be amazing. Why not? Yeah. So so I really, I, I've thought a lot about it. And I think that probably there's a lot of work being done around that now. The I hope, anyway, I hope that that is a focus on bringing in BIPOC books for, for kids on reserve. So. I think that's a really good dream to have and <laughs> see where it goes, <laughs> see what exists out there. Yeah. What new projects are you thinking about if if you're able to speak to your new projects freely or if you have any in mm -hmm. your mind? Mm -hmm. Yes, I um, I submitted a couple of picture books to my publisher. So um, one is one is about a residential school experience but it's a little bit of a different experience because my family nobody in my family attended the Indian residential school so that's what th that story is about where can folks find out more about you your work if you have a website mm -hmm. I do have a website it's it's um a little bit bare bones, but, but you're all, more than helping look it up. It's it's Kim Spencer. Uh, so it's at WordPress. I, I I don't sorry I have the exact address. Well, that's okay. Uh, but I'm on, yeah, but I'm on Twitter and uh, I can uh, K Spencer writes at, at on Twitter and Kim Spencer writes on Instagram. Um, and you could look up BC Book World to learn more about my my book for for the their autumn issue is um, has a has a lovely share of, about my upcoming book. So wonderful! Is there anything else you would like to share? Um, any questions you might have of me, or anything that got missed? Anything you'd like to share further with with our listeners? 
Oh, well, I would just like to thank you for inviting me to be here with you. This has been really lovely as always. I feel like I'm always learning from you, always enjoy our discussion. So it's been great. I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today and um, being a part of this podcast and, and being my guest. And I'd like to encourage people to look up and find Kim Spencer. Keep an eye out for her debut novel called Weird Rules to Follow. Thank you for listening to Reigning Revolution, Jedi in the Arts. For contact information of the guests or to listen to other podcasts, please visit cfuvpodcast.com.